Let's sing and swing. Evening visit with Mrs. Franklin D. Roosevelt. Two o'clock on Thursday afternoon in Manila. And now we bring you Forbidden Diary, the true World War II story of Natalie Crowder, based on her secret journal written from a Japanese prison camp in the Philippines. Episode 8, Life Goes On. Previously on Forbidden Diary. People have known him for years. He's rough around the edges. Nakamura's not hateful like Lieutenant Mukibo. Arthur somehow persuaded Nakamura to let the cooks go to Baguio Market. Every day, they pile into a confiscated delivery truck with the guards and head off to town. How many children do we have? I'd guess at least a hundred. And there are, what, eight pregnant women? Two are ready to pop any day. So what do we do? so-and-sos are robbing them. But my family's known Mr. Nagatomi for years. How could he do this? And now, Episode 8. January 30, 1942. Camp John Hay. Yesterday afternoon, all of the missionaries and their families were called onto the tennis court to hear an announcement that they were leaving camp immediately. It did not matter whether they wanted to stay or not. No choice. A terrible flurry and flutter ensued. The missionaries had no idea where they were going or why they were being let go. After a mad rush of packing and then standing for roll call, about 150 people, mostly women and children, were loaded onto vehicles. We watched them driven over the hill into freedom. At second meals, speculations were passed around. Were they freed because our water is getting short? Or to remove the Japanese responsibility of starving us when our funds run out? Where and how will the missionaries live? And what about us? Are we to be let out to cope in a new world? Well, at least there was more food. With the missionaries gone and fewer mouths to feed, we all had a full second meal. Isabel, who looks like she's going to deliver at any minute, was exhausted from the upheaval and went to bed to wait for the truck to take her to the hospital. How are you doing, Isabel? Fine. I just need a lie down after that meal. Mmm, pea soup. And then sweet potatoes and pork topped with tomato. Plus carrots, banana, and taffy. Full stomachs for once. Maybe a little too full. Well, I hope you saved room for castor oil. You're going to kill me with that castor oil. Doctor's orders. Here, take a swig. I've already eaten too much. Please, just give me a chance to digest. Is your bag packed? Oh, stop being a mother hen. Dr. Bruce will be taking me to the hospital tonight. It's all planned. Just like when Helen had her baby a few weeks ago. Right, Helen? Only it was Dr. Dean who delivered Billy. Tell him what he said to you, Helen. Well, he was hoping I'd be in labor long enough for him to get food at the hospital. So he says to me, Honey, 
I want you to take a good long time at this as I want to get three square meals from this trip. That sounds like Dr. Dean all right. But he's a very good surgeon. Went to Vanderbilt. Well, I sure wouldn't want him delivering my baby. Did you see him roll into the women's dining room tonight? Boy, did he ever take a wrong toying in Albuquerque. Drunk as a skunk from the alcohol he gets from the hospital. Darn, I missed it. You should have seen Bessie. She swooped in so fast that the guards didn't even notice her steering him back to the kitchen. One of them did, but he's the nice guard. Dottie? Well, he is. I saw him covering Diane's baby the other night. Don't tell Diane that. She'll have a fit. Tell me what? Nothing. Oh, nothing. アサガ、中村社長にお会いしたいと言っています。私は本社にすでに3回も電話したと彼に伝えてくれ。天変、I've I got them know she's in labor, but that's what Hikman told me. What the hell does prudent mean? It's a $20 word for Isabel isn't going to the hospital tonight. I called those sons of bitches three times. Have I told you those bastards haven't paid me? Yes. Not one peso. Mrs. Scott will have to wait until morning. I am afraid it doesn't work like that. I have four goddamn kids. I know it doesn't work like that. Okay. Well, then I gotta go back and figure out something. Tell those doctors and nurses to get off their cans and help her. Hey, what are you doing in our room? We're going to use it as a delivery room. Oh, no, you're not. Look, Enid, this is the only place with a door in privacy. You could at least ask for permission. Well, Isabel's almost fully dilated, so she won't be needing your room for very long. Nancy, go get Isabel and send for Dr. Bruce while I set up here. We heard Isabel's baby cry at 1.30 this morning. A son, seven pounds, and all is well after a three-hour travail. Every noise carries in these barracks, but Isabel hardly let out a sound. The infant's receiving crib is a utensil drawer from Brent School, tented with gauze to keep out flies and mosquitoes. Millie and I went to see Isabel this afternoon, and celebrated with peppermint sticks while we watched the baby learn to drink. Well done, Isabel. He's beautiful. You were like a heroine in a story. What a story. I can see the headlines now. Japanese Imperial Command tries to stop birth, says, wait till morning. <laughs> Your baby's the first American born in Camp Hay. In the Igorot barracks, no less. Oh, my mother would have a fit. Everyone wants to name him John Hay. Over my dead 
body. Nearly all of the missionaries who left last night returned this afternoon, hungry and exhausted. Evidently, the Japanese misunderstood orders from Manila. <laughs> They took the families to the Baguio Hotel and left them amid a confusion of heaped baggage and howling children. While they were there, three more missionaries were detained in town for questioning by the Kempeitai. We still don't know what's happened to the other three men jailed earlier this month. Curiously, a handful of people with jobs or permanent assignments in town were allowed to stay and live in Baguio. One of them's Carl, for whom <laughs> we're happy, but we'll miss very much. February 11, 1942 Today is Beattie's 11th birthday, so I whispered him a song with kisses. Jerry and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary last week. <laughs> he arrived early on the back porch where we usually meet when he carries out the garbage cans, and thus I have an excuse if caught talking. One of his presents was sugar that he had boiled down from darkened, dirty cakes, along with a piece of celery and two. Infinitesimal tomatoes. Later, he brought a box of candy he'd secured with great difficulty and gave me a stern warning, telling me, Natalie, don't you dare give any of this candy away. Beatty celebrated his birthday party with five other boys in the backyard trench. Two mothers contributed food. When I gave him a bag of Filipino pan bread and a card from Ismael and Nida, Beatty cried. Oh, mommy, they're both alive! Mmm, ang bango nida. Sana maganda ang kalabasan. Therefore, be this birthday. Oh? How old is he going to be? Eleven. Ay, I remember when he was a baby. Would you hand me the potholders over there? Thank you, Auntie. Like I was saying, the Japanese burnt it to the ground when the Chinese refused to give themselves up. What burnt to the ground? Dainty Bakery, Ismael. They probably thought that the Chinese were helping the guerrillas. Do you think it was Kempetai? I, I wouldn't be surprised. Were they captured? I don't know. The Japanese are worried about the resistance fighters. Did you see that poster in town blaming Americans for destroying the cane fields? But they're all interned in Kempetai. Not all of them. Some escape up in the mountains, and there's a few in town, but you never see them. Why? They can't go out of their houses. Blaming Americans for the fires is stupid. They're just trying to make Americans villains, so we'll side with them. That's never going to happen. When the American prisoners come to Baguio Market, I smile at them. Be careful, Auntie. The soldiers will slap you right there on the street if you say or do anything they don't like. 
Oh, don't worry about me. Well, I do, so you be careful. Now, where did I put that flour sack? Here it is. Did you see that poster ordering Filipinos back to work? Then maybe the Japanese shouldn't be burning down businesses. We still have to put food on the table, Nita. I heard that Mr. Nagatomi's turned the Pines Hotel into a cabaret. I used to think that he was such a nice man. It's running full blast with Filipino band leader, whose wife is the dancer. She used to work at a store on Sessions Road. At least her husband's there. Mr. Nagatomi's looking for Filipinas to be waitresses. There's no way I'd let any young lady within a mile of those soldiers. Ismael, those pandesal are for Bidi's birthday. If Bidi were here, he'd give me one. I've been saving flour for two weeks to make this. He's not going to miss just one. Oh, okay. But just take one and pass me that flour sack. I'm going to put all of them in there so you don't get your hands on them again. Have you taken the Crowther's name off of the house? I was going to do that today. We've been living at the Crowther's since the first week of January. And Mr. Jerry asked you before they left. It's for our own safety, Ismael. Okay, okay. I'll do that after I go to the delivery truck. When does it get into town from Camp Hay? Around 10. Then you'd better go now. Here. I didn't get up this early to give Bidi day-old bread. Watch your fingers. It's still hot. I'd better go. Sige, alis na ako. See you later. Ingat. Bye. Wait, Ismael. Here's Bidi's birthday card. Thank God the Japanese let Americans go into town to buy food. Everyone gives their packages to the driver, so it's a lot safer. Word got around quick. That delivery trucks like the post office at Christmas. I hated it when Ismael took a package of clothes to Camp Hay. You never know what those Japanese are going to do. Are the Crowthers okay? I don't know. I never know if they get my packages. I'm so worried about them, auntie. Ismael saw Mr. Jerry once, about a month ago, and said he looked awful. All of the prisoners look horrible. The Americans I've seen at Baguio Market look like beggars, even the rich ones. Ay, I'll light a candle for them before Mass tomorrow. February 15, 1942. Lieutenant Mukibo asked for volunteers among our teenage girls to work at the Pines Hotel, which is now used for the Japanese officers' mess. None did. Our new camp infirmary was christened with its first delivery. 
Little William was born at 5.30 a.m. this morning, with the labor starting at midnight. What are these babies? Japanese subjects? Citizens? February 16, 1942. We woke in early hours to hear loud pounding coming from Nakamura and the guards nailing a huge sign onto the tree in front of the barracks. In big black and red letters, it read, News, Singapore fell on February 15 at 7.30 p.m. Wasn't that swell of them to save Jim, the bother of printing it in the newsletter that he started this month? Of course, the Japanese monitor every word in the Camp Pay Daily News, so poor Jim keeps his articles upbeat to boost our morale. Jim turned 23 on New Year's in this miserable place. He was editor of the Baguio edition of the Manila Daily Bulletin, his first job out of Duke University after returning home to the Philippines. His family has deep roots in Baguio, but I'm sure his parents wish he had stayed in North Carolina. At roll call, we were each given a number to sew onto our clothing. So now I can write a letter to mother and sign it, Your Loving Daughter, Number 87. <laughs> if and when we are allowed to write, Jim usually ends his newsletter with a line or two to make us chuckle. And today, <laughs> he had a good one. Camp Hay Daily News. Do you think that we'll go around collecting girls' badge numbers instead of phone numbers someday? I sewed an 88 on June sweater and an 89 on Beatties. February 25th, 1942. 28 days of our funds left. Then what? The committee has been pooling everyone's money to buy food at the market. It costs each of us about eight pesos a month, and the committee uses somewhat less than 100 pesos a day. Perhaps there is no need to worry, because the missionaries read in a letter from Manila that Uncle Sam is just around the corner. There may be something to it. At a committee meeting, Nakamura burst forth profanely that we wouldn't need the bomb holes in our roof mended for the rainy season, because we probably wouldn't be here. And... The Japanese don't seem to be doing well in some respects lately. We hope so, even though they take it out on us. When Ruth declared that we'll be out in a week, some started guessing how it would happen. Rumors are bread for our spirits to feed upon. What a small life this is, so bounded and detailed by checking and numbering. The floor space is now being measured by the inch to see how much each occupies. I don't know how much less space is possible. Sleeping between June and Beady, it's hard to turn on three quarters of a mattress. My back aches every night. We look like... <sighs> we look like Ellis Island emigres with wooden boxes, market bags, duffel bags, pillows, and a typewriter piled up on mattresses so we could put a sea of soapy water around them while I take pride in cleaning the floor with petty thoroughness. After evening sing-along, I escaped to the barracks porch for some solitude. The moon was high, and for the first time, no fires could be seen in the distance. Oh, um, hi, Peg. Hi, Natalie.
I've been saving this cigarette for three days. Want a puff? No. Thanks anyway. Nice out, huh? Hmm. <laughs> Did you know that I can see our house from here? No kidding. Where is it? Over there. The one with the light on. Bet it's strange to see it so close by. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure is. Camp Hay reminds me of East Side New York, you know, from a fire escape with bedding hanging out windows and over railings. Children everywhere yelling and no place to get away from it. Well, <laughs> except here, sometimes. Think you could wash my hair tomorrow? Sure, if I can get a bucket. You want me to set it? No. <laughs> my hair will just end up in braids. You sure? Yes. But I'm still going to wear lipstick and rouge when I meet Jerry. Well, thank goodness your standards haven't slipped, Natalie Crowder. Heavens no. Did you see those two soldiers playing baseball with our guys today? When one of them swung and missed, they all laughed like old friends. Yes, all very fraternal. Beyond my comprehension. Mommy, are you coming in? Well, I'd better get the kids settled. You go ahead. I'm going to finish my cigarette. March 11, 1942. It is interesting to watch the war of nerves effect on different people. Some want to be square and play ball. Others have a dash at the devil and get away with all they can. But sooner or later, we all suffer when someone breaks the rules. Lieutenant Mukibo's The Mistake of One is the Mistake of All hit us hard today. Someone snuck out a note saying, Send us food. We are starving, and Nakamura is furious because he was called on it by Japanese intelligence. When the food truck arrived with packages from town, he angrily rifled through them and cut open many loaves of bread. He found nothing, but demanded that Mrs. Henderson's book order, all 25 pounds of it, be burned. Later, he posted an angry missive on the parade ground. No messages, orders, or writing of any kind is to go out from the camp from now on. If any message of any kind is sent out, the penalty will be that no further packages will be allowed into camp. This order affects the whole camp and not individuals. <laughs> I'm sure that Arthur had to clean up the language. Nakamura uses a fine combination of profanity that he learned from the American miners he's worked with through the years. Nakamura claims he hasn't been paid, and his wife and children are destitute. Some say that he's near the end of his tether. A few weeks back, when rumors were in favor of America, Nakamura oozed with relief when he heard that we'd all be shipped home. The Imperial Army, the Navy, the Intelligence, and the Samurai with the Beautiful old swords. They do not give. They take and take, even from their own people. How many sacrifices have the people made for these big swords that they may come into towns and not even feed the families of their guards and helpers? And so, life goes on. 
One of the guards plays tennis with several of our men. Geraniums give way to lettuce around our barracks. And June tells me... Mummy, I don't care for dolls anymore. They're tame after taking care of a baby. March 14, 1942. We are now forbidden to write or talk to Filipinos and Chinese. The Japanese think that they'll forget us. But Arthur said he winked at our Filipino seller at the market today, and Nang and Chan smiled broadly from the pushcart on the road. Many have stuck by us and sent us gifts, even with little themselves, for they know what real need is. Nida and Ismail send packages nearly every week, and Filipinos are sending us homemade food wrapped in banana leaves. The bukayo, peanut candy, oranges from trees in their yard, and suman, a gooey cake of coconut juice and cassava flour, all taste so good. Before Nakamura's crackdown, Nida tucked in a note in between two cans of Nestle milk and consumé. The first word from home. We felt like we'd heard from the whole world. March 16, 1942. A car drove into camp today with a Red Cross flag. Not that infernal rising sun. How breathless we felt watching a blue car drive up the hill with the Philippine Red Cross printed on the door, loaded with food, medicines, and supplies. When Dr. Devanesha stepped out of the car, it made me realize how long it's been since we've seen Nida, Ismail, the children, and all the friendly Filipino faces. I want to see them all again. I thought, does this coming of the Red Cross mean anything for us? An opening wedge for more? I shall cry if I go on. It tightens the throat. That sign of somebody giving a damn about what happened to us. (sighs) Our camp committee greeted Dr. Devanesha, but were promptly joined by Nakamura, Mr. Nagatomi, and another Japanese we call Joe Philadelphia who rode up on a motorcycle in beautiful jodhpurs. The group talked while the car was unloaded. Then the gong rang for second meal, and we had to go inside. We later learned that Mr. Nagatomi wouldn't let us have any of the Red Cross supplies. He said that we must live entirely on friends, charity, and the Japanese army for support. Now I must go and dress up, put on a white sweater and forget how long I stood gazing at that blue car and its Red Cross symbol of international goodwill. Oh, what the heck, Natalie? You may as well go. I just don't have the heart, Peg. Everyone's worked so hard on the show. Oh, come on, Natalie. Chin up. There's nothing to be done about it. Look, here's the programme. See? It's got seven skits. Do you good? Hey, guys, you'd better bring some boxes to sit on because we've got a full house. Nakamura and the guards are in the audience. They certainly have some nerve showing up after what happened today. (sighs) Oh, Betty, I don't think they got any of the Red Cross supplies. I bet it all went to Mr. Nagatomi. Along with all of our money he took, the nasty bugger. Betty! Betty! Well, that's what he is, isn't he? He's a nasty bugger. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, 
Ladies and gentlemen. Eh, shut up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. We bring you this evening Life Behind Barbed Wire, where we always say, if you want privacy, shut your eyes. Brought to you by the Camp Hay Kitchen. Purveyors of fine dining. Remember what Chef Alex and his crew always say, give it to me, guys. Shut, shut up and eat it. Shut up and eat it. <laughs> and now, scene one. Uh, where's little Esther? Oh, there she is. That's it, darling. Come on up. Bring your little sign. That's it, darling. Come on up. Yep, bring your little sign. Yep, there you go. That's it. Up on the box with you. Read the sign, dear. Now? Now. Nighttime behind barbed wire. Jimmy, pull up the sheet. Criminy Christmas, not again. Hey, cut the racket, will ya? Where's my mosquito tent? <laughs> Who took my mosquito net? <laughs> You're dragging Dottie's mosquito net like a bloody wedding veil. Y'all bring my net back. I didn't take your cotton picking net. You pinned it to my pants leg again. Knitting bag. Oh, nothing, dearie. Just a few knitting needles. Sounds like silverware to me. Give me that knitting bag. Not on your life, Charlie. Well, what do we have here? A clip joint or a concentration camp? And now, for our finale, Camp John Hay's own songbird, let's hear it for Eleanor. Might never be mean 
Might never be cross or try to be boss, but they wouldn't do. Boy, nobody else gave me a thrill. With all your faults, I love you still. It had to be you, wonderful you. It had to be you. That was a swell show, you guys. I didn't know you could sing, Eleanor. I used to sing in a piano bar back home. Hey, does anyone know how Nakamura got a hold of Doreen's wedding gifts? Oh, who knows. What's this about Doreen's wedding gifts? After the show, Nakamura and the guards came into the kitchen and doled out Doreen's wedding linen to thank the cast. They just loved the show. Uh, how'd they get Doreen's linens? Probably stole it, like they always do. I couldn't believe it. Nakamura's such a huckleberry. I thought it was funny. You would. Awkward's more like it. Oh, he was just trying to show his appreciation for our fine performance. Well, I didn't know what to say when Nakamura handed me Doreen's linen tablecloth. So what'd you do? Smiled and did a little bow for him. Here's your tablecloth, Doreen. Colleen, y'all gonna give those little embroidered napkins back to Doreen? Yes. Hey, everyone! Hey, everyone! Ronnie's gone into labor. If she hangs in for a few more hours, we'll have a St. Patrick's Patrick's Day Day baby. baby! March 17, 1942. Ronnie gave birth to a boy who is sleeping soundly in a basket trimmed with ruffles sewn by Ronnie's Filipino housekeeper and wearing a donated layette. Little did we think when we made adult and baby clothes for the Red Cross that we would be using so many of the garments ourselves. (laughs) I remember the advertisement for the drives asking, Will it ever happen to you? And here it is. It helps to keep notes like this. I've never dared to type a letter to Mother, as it takes too much space and notice of the guards. I only hope to get out these notes as the days fade from memory very quickly and would be almost impossible to recall. This concludes Episode 8. Be sure to listen to the epilogue following this message and tune in for the next episode of Forbidden Diary, the true World War II story of Natalie Crowder, based on her secret journal written from a Japanese prison camp in the Philippines.